Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. Good morning, everybody. My name is Anya. And my husband, Doug, and I are pastors of Refugee Ministries here at Salem Alliance. And uh, it is great to be with you on this historic eclipse weekend in Salem, Oregon. This is kind of an exciting time for Salem. We're not really used to being told to go and, you know, load up on gas and load up on groceries. And I don't know if you heard, this last Wednesday, our Salem Costco our very own Salem Costco was rated the third busiest Costco in the world, in the world. First in the US, third in the world. And this has actually led to some speculation that Costco may have invented the eclipse. So we will have to wait and find out tomorrow what actually happens. So. Before we do anything else, and I, go, I say anything else, I need to do the thing that every child in this room is waiting for, and probably many adults too, and that is invite the ushers forward to pass out the fruit snacks. Yes. <laughs> so ushers, if you'd come forward, pass those out. Young and old, please take one. Get your sugar high for the morning. Enjoy. And uh, while those are going around, I get to announce the winner of this week's Lego competition. So uh, the month of August here at Sam Alliance is called our Family Gathers Month. And we switch things up a little bit. We have different people up here speaking than our normal teaching team. We also get the kids in our gathering with us. And we ask the kids to submit Lego creations each week for different categories. And then some of the staff votes and there's a winner for each week. So this week's category was nature. And our winner is Lincoln Lowry with an awesome crab. Yes. Lincoln, are you here? I heard Lincoln was maybe gonna be at the 11 o'clock service. Is he here somewhere? Oh, there he is. Awesome. Congratulations, and you get your very own Lego set. Nice. That crab is super cool. Thank so you. you did a great job. <laughs> All right. So our preaching series this month is called Legos. And because of that, I thought it would be appropriate to begin by sharing with you some scripture verses that talk about Legos. Because I thought, you know, I bet a lot of people don't realize that these are in there. So we'll start with Proverbs 32, seven, which says, those who take Lego pieces from a child are like those who withhold milk from a kitten. So don't do that. Exodus 20, 27. Do not build for yourself a Lego structure and then bow down to it. Do you not know that these are mere plastic pieces that can never save you? <laughs> and last, but certainly not least, Ephesians 7:12. If you spend more than five hours per day looking for Lego sets on eBay, repent and believe for the end is near. I hope you took good notes on those because you'll probably never find them in the Bible ever again. 
So I have two kids, their names are Micah and Lucy, ages seven and five, and they love Legos. So often when they're in the middle of building a Lego, they will bring it to me when it's partway through in process and say, hey mommy, what do you think this is? And they'll have me guess, is it gonna become a car or a dinosaur or an airplane? And then at the end, they'll show me what it was to see if I was right. So I thought it would be fun to play this game with all of you this morning. So this last week I had them build some Lego structures and we took some pictures. So I'm gonna show you the before picture, the in process picture, and have you try to guess what it's going to become. So let's pull our first one up here. So that's the in process. So take a look at that, kind of the shape and the pieces, try to get an idea of what you think that's gonna be. All right, so let's, let's show the final product here. That is my son Micah with a lighthouse. So if you guess lighthouse, you were correct. All right, let's look at the second one here. Okay, so you can see we've got a little bit different shape pieces here, kind of interesting. Get a guess in your mind. All right, let's see what it became. That is a guitar being played for you by my daughter, Lucy. All right, last one. And I warn you, these get increasingly difficult. So this is the hardest one. So take a look at that. That green flat piece, very interesting. All right, everybody have a guess here. Let's see the final. Yes, now you may be asking, what is it? Well, according to my son Micah, that is a protected place with hidden treasure and a carriage that got stuck in a grassy field. <laughs> so if anybody guessed that right, please come see me afterwards and you will get a very, very cool prize. <laughs> so while the building of those Legos is in process, who is the only one who knows what they're going to become in the end. Who is carefully placing each piece where it needs to go to form the eventual masterpiece that emerges? Is it the Lego pieces themselves? Or is it the table that they're sitting on? Or a lamp that's lighting up the room? Or a parent that's walking by? Or maybe a sibling that comes running in and crashes them over? Nope. None of those. You probably already guessed who it is. It's the builder, the builder of the Legos. The builder is the only one who has a vision for those Lego pieces and knows what they're gonna become. The builder is the only one who can be trusted to make those pieces into the masterpiece that the builder intends them to be. So what about our lives? Do you ever feel like those unfinished Lego structures that we just saw in the picture? Maybe questioning what's happening with your life or wondering what you're becoming when things don't look the way that you thought that they would or that they should. Wondering how that unexpected, oddly shaped piece that shows up in your life is somehow supposed to fit in with the big picture. Do you ever struggle to trust the builder of your life when the structure that you see just doesn't seem to make sense. I wanna hone in for a minute on that word trust because trust is a word that gets sort of thrown around a lot in reference to our relationship with God. So much so that it can be easy for it to 
sort of lose its meaning and become commonplace. Like, yeah, sure, I trust God. Or someone going through something hard and, and someone will say to him, you know, you just need to trust God. But what does that word trust actually mean? I spent some time looking into this and doing some research. And what I found is that it can be really easy to confuse having faith in God with trusting God. Faith is a noun. So all you kids who've been in English class, pay attention here. A noun, person, place, or thing, faith is something that you have or that you can possess. Faith is a confident belief that God is who he says he is and that he can do what he says that he'll do. Now, trust, on the other hand, is a verb. A verb is an action word. So trust is a deliberate action. It's a willful choice. Trust is what we do because of the faith that we have. Now, the Hebrew words in the Old Testament that are used for that word trust, there's about seven different Hebrew words used for that word, they have meanings that include these descriptors. To be firm, confident, or bold, to lean on, cling to, or take refuge in. Often summarized as to rely on. There's a lot of verses in the Bible about trust and many of them describe trust by telling us what we should not rely on. So for example, Proverbs 3, 5, and I promise you this is actually a real scripture verse this time. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not depend on your own understanding. So don't rely on your own view of the way that you think that things should be. Jeremiah 17, five, this is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. So don't rely on other people, other fellow human beings for your strength. 1 Timothy 6.17, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God. So don't rely on money or on the stuff that money buys. Biblical trust is a reliance on God above anything else. A short definition I found that I think succinctly captures the meaning of biblical trust is this, trust is a firm reliance on God to meet our deepest needs. A firm reliance on God to meet our deepest needs. Can be pretty easy to affirm a trust in God when things are going well, when we're healthy, when we're employed, we're doing well in school, our loved ones are healthy, our relationships are peaceful. But what about when life throws us a curveball. Maybe a friend betrays you or you're laid off from a job or God asks you to do something that you don't wanna do. You get in a fight with somebody. You don't get picked for that team that you really wanted to be on. Your parents get a divorce. You get sick. A family member dies. You fail a test. A relationship ends. Curveballs can be big things and they can be small things. But regardless, it can be a lot more difficult to trust God when they come. This morning, I wanna paint a picture of what it looks like to trust the builder of our lives when our circumstances go sideways. 
So we'll start by looking at a story of someone from the Bible who trusted God through some very challenging and unexpected circumstances. Then I'll share a story with you from my own life of my recent journey of learning to trust God through a difficult situation. And then finally, I'll offer an invitation for you to trust the builder of your life when your circumstances turn out differently than what you hoped or what you planned. So let's dive into our first story. It's a story of a man you may have heard of before. His name is Noah. So if you would turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter six, we're gonna begin in verse nine. This is page 11 of the Bible in your pew. So grab a Bible, turn there with me and follow along with me as I read. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Look, I am about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. But I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for all the animals. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. When everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, go into the boat with all your family, for among all the people of the earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. So to recap that story, the world is full of corruption, violence, evil, and wickedness. And God decides to get rid of all people, but he decides to save Noah because Noah was a righteous man. So he comes to Noah and he delivers this news to him. And then he gives Noah some really specific instructions of what Noah needs to do. Now, I wanna pause the story for a minute and just think about the way that Noah's circumstances are going sideways. So here you are, living your life, working, raising a family, and all of a sudden, God comes to you and tells you that the entire world is going to be destroyed, demolished by a major catastrophic event. And everything and everyone that you have ever known is going to be completely gone with the exception of seven other people in your immediate family. And now you need to focus your entire life 
on building an extremely large boat if you wanna save yourself and your family. Oh, and not to mention the best part, it's your job to save every single species of animal on the planet as well. Now, I would say if I was Noah, my stress level would be a little bit high. For me, especially because of the keeping all the animals alive part, but everything else too. This is a crazy circumstance that Noah finds himself in. So back to the story. Noah obeys everything that God commanded him. And then God tells Noah and his family to get into the ark. From this point, the story goes on to tell of the actual flood, and then the water drying up, and then the rainbow, and so on. I've heard this story of Noah many times, and I've always gone pretty quickly through this first section that we just read. God tells Noah to build an ark, poof, there's an ark, and Noah gets in. But if we don't stop to reflect, we miss some really important implications of verse 22. It's the only information that Genesis gives us about what happens during that time period between God's instructions to Noah and then God telling Noah and his family to get into the ark. And it's only one brief sentence. It says, so Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. But it's from this sentence that we learn about Noah's trust in God. There's three pieces of context that I wanna share with you to help us understand the significance of Noah's obedience in this situation. First is the amount of time that it took Noah to build the ark. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how long it took him to build that humongous boat, but it gives a number of pretty good indications based on the age of Noah at various points in the story, as well as the age of his sons. And based on those, most scholars agree that it took somewhere between 50 and 75 years for Noah to build the ark. 50 to 75 years. That's more than half a lifetime of humans in our world today. That is a long time to continue obeying and building and building and building with no actual proof that a flood was coming except for God's word to Noah. Second piece of context is the physical climate of the area where the ark was built. So Noah built that boat in a geographic area that was desert-like. It was an area with very little water and where there had never before been a flood. So this would not have been a context where it would have been easy for Noah to picture or to envision the type of event that God was describing to him. Third piece of context is the extreme wickedness of the surrounding society. The Bible's really clear that human beings during the time of Noah were incredibly evil. Genesis 6-5 says, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Genesis 6-11 says, the earth had become corrupt and filled with violence. The Hebrew word used here for that word violence is defined as unjust gain, cruelty, damage, oppression. This is not a very good picture that's being painted here. And this would have been everyone that Noah interacted with. 
everyone in his life, with the exception of those seven other immediate family members. This would have been shopkeepers, next door neighbors, friends, even his extended family. Everyone was wicked. Now we all know how hard it is to do what's right when we're surrounded by people who are doing wrong. And Noah was virtually alone in his obedience. So we know from scripture that Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. And we also know that he did it in a context of an extremely long time period, a desert climate and complete evil surrounding him. Now that is trust. Does this mean that it was always easy for Noah to trust God? That he wasn't, you know, maybe somewhere in year 30, still building the boat, still in the desert without any water and sort of thinking, have I just gone crazy? No, it doesn't mean that. But all we know from the Bible is that Noah obeyed. He took a deliberate action and chose to place his life in the hands of his God. Noah relied on God to meet his deepest needs. So learning to trust has been a significant part of my own journey over these past few years. So I wanna share a little bit about that with you. A little background um, on this situation. So I grew up here at Salem Alliance. And in middle school, I went on one of those mission trips to Mexico. And it was during one of those trips that I was called by God to be a missionary, to go to the far corners of the earth and tell people about Jesus and about his love for them. So I oriented my entire life around pursuing that calling. Met my husband, Doug, got married after college. He shared that same calling. And we spent about 10 years in really intentional preparation to become international workers. A few years ago, we sensed that it was the time for us to go and God had directed us to a role in Eastern Europe in a country called Kosovo. So we sold our stuff, we packed everything we needed into about 15 suitcases and got on an airplane with our two kids and moved our life across the world. Jumped into life and ministry in Kosovo and we loved it. We felt like this is exactly what we were meant to do. And our plan was to be there long-term. I mean, we were committed for the next five, 10, 15 years. After one year in, we're just barely getting the hang of the language, we came back here to Oregon for a couple weeks at Christmas time. And there's something that happened to me during one of those nights that we were back that was a pretty powerful experience. So we were staying with Doug's parents up in Portland and I had an event to go to on the other side of town. So I went to my event, finished up about 9.30 at night. It was dark, rainy, cold, winter, Oregon night. And I needed to drive back home. So one thing to know about me is that I am extremely directionally challenged. So I rely on that GPS on my phone to get me everywhere. We did not have service on our cell phones because we were only back in the US for a couple weeks. But thankfully, if I had Wi-Fi, I could plug in an address and the phone would still route my directions. So that's what I did, plugged it in, got in my car, started driving. 
So as I'm driving, following these directions, takes me on a couple turns that seem sort of odd. And I'm like, huh, that seems like a weird way to get back. But Siri always knows what she's doing. So I'm just gonna continue following these. So I keep going after a little while, the roads look very, very unfamiliar. And I'm thinking, this is very strange. I don't know if this is right. But at this point, I have no idea how to even turn around and find my way back. So I figure I better just keep going. Go a little bit further and I am remote. I mean, we're talking farmland, no more street lights, a few spotty houses here and there. And out here in the middle of nowhere, Siri says to me, you have reached your destination. So I pull over to the side of the road and I begin to panic. My heart starts pounding, my palms are getting all sweaty, my mind is racing. I'm thinking, what am I gonna do? I can't reroute my directions, I can't call anyone, I can't text, I can't look anything up, nobody knows where I am. And as I'm sitting in that dark night all alone in my car out in the farmland, panicking, I hear God speak to me really clearly. And he said, Anya, I want you to start driving and trust me and I will get you where you need to go. And I kind of look around the car. <laughs> I'm like, what? What was that? He says it again. Start driving and trust me and I will get you where you need to go. And I thought, well, I really don't have a better idea. So I better listen to God. So I, I pull out and I start driving and the roads were super windy and I'd come up to three, four-way stops, have no idea which way I should go and just pick a direction, you know, left, right, or straight. The whole time, nothing looked familiar, no clue where I was. And after about 20 minutes of this, all of a sudden, I pop out on this road and there is Doug's parents' house, right there. God had gotten me exactly where I needed to go. I went inside that night and Doug's waiting for me, you know, worried, where, where had I been? I explained the story to him and we both sort of wondered what this might mean. Well, the very next day, we received some really hard news that due to some family needs beyond our control, we needed to leave Kosovo and return to Oregon for an indefinite period of time. And I remember really vividly sitting in that room, receiving that news and the shock, the pain, the confusion, the sadness. And all of a sudden, the picture of what had happened just the night before came flooding back to me. Anya, trust me and I will get you where you need to go. And that same picture has come flooding back to me over and over again over this past year as I've had to let go of that dream to serve overseas, at least for now. So we moved back here to Salem, which was a little bit weird for me because this was my hometown and I wanted to be in the far corners of the earth. But we moved back, moved in with my parents, didn't know where we were supposed to live, what we were supposed to do, what our purpose was. We had had such a clear sense of calling and of purpose, and now we felt lost. It honestly felt exactly like that dark night when I was lost in my car, not knowing where the next turn would take us, 
needing to make decisions without knowing the final destination. All the typical things that I would normally rely on just not working for me and everything in me wanting to grab onto control. And yet, just like during that dark night, it's also been an amazing opportunity for me to practice trusting the builder of my life as my only guide, clinging to him and actively deciding over and over again to rely on him alone to meet my deepest needs. And the amazing thing is that he has been getting us where we need to go. Right now, we're getting to work with refugees who've come to Salem, Oregon, from the far corners of the earth, still living out our calling, but in a completely different way than we ever would have expected. But he is getting us where we need to go. So why did Noah trust the builder of his life? And why did I trust him through a situation that didn't seem to make sense at all? And why have so many people throughout history and throughout scripture continued to trust him even when their circumstances never resolve this side of heaven? The answer is actually pretty simple. It's because he is the builder. Isaiah 40, 25 through 28 says, to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, asks the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say that God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. You can almost hear God saying here, I was there. I was there at the very beginning. I created this entire universe and you can't even begin to comprehend this eternal story from my perspective. And not only did he create the entire universe, he created you. And not only did he create you, he loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his own son into this world to die in your place. As human beings, we see what's right in front of us. We see whatever circumstance currently consumes our attention. But God, God, he sees a much bigger picture for our lives. He sees all of eternity, all at once, he sees the entire journey because he is the great I am, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. And no matter what is happening in your world, he is the same. And his love for you, it always remains. 
This is the builder of our lives and he can be trusted. I wanna offer an invitation for you to trust the builder of your life when your circumstances turn out differently than what you hoped or than what you planned. Anybody ever had that experience before? I want you to think with me right now about a circumstance in your life that maybe doesn't make sense. A situation that's not turning out the way that you expected it would. Something that's disappointing or scary or maybe it's even heartbreaking. Something God's asking you to do that feels hard or feels impossible. Something that you're trying to control that you just can't control. Do you have a situation in your mind? Remember, it can be something big or it can be something small. So here's my invitation. Whenever that situation pops into your head and worry, fear, or anxiety begin to fill your thoughts, I wanna invite you right then and there to proclaim your trust in the builder of your life. To proclaim something is to announce or to declare. It's like putting a stake in the ground. And there's some really powerful things that happen when we proclaim our trust in God. First, when we proclaim our trust in him, we are returning our focus to our creator, to the one who made the universe, who made us, who deeply, deeply loves us. Second, when we proclaim our trust in him, we are giving up being in charge, giving up believing that we know what's best, releasing our control, releasing our grip. And third, when we proclaim our trust in him, we are choosing to let go of fear and instead to embrace our safety and our refuge that's found in God. One thing that's been really helpful for me in putting this into practice is the idea of a breath prayer. A breath prayer is a short, simple prayer that can be spoken in a single breath, anytime, anywhere. So when I begin to dwell on a challenging or painful or crazy or difficult circumstance, I'll often pray a breath prayer and simply tell God, I trust you. A verbal out loud proclamation right in the middle of the mess of life, not after things have resolved, not after I feel better, but right in the middle of the mess, drawing a line in the sand and declaring who I'm choosing to rely on to meet my deepest needs. This isn't like some magic formula that takes away the challenge or the pain of my circumstances. No, things still aren't easy and they still hurt. But in the midst of those dark, those confusing, those stressful places, I'm reminded who is in control and who can carry me through. To illustrate this invitation, I'd like to close with one last story. It's about a French performer who lived during the late 1800s, and his name was Jean-Francois Gravelot. He was commonly known by the nickname the Great Blondin. Blondin means blonde, so he must have been a blonde performer. 
So he was an acrobat and a tightrope walker. And the stunt that he's best known for was walking a tightrope high above Niagara Falls. Blondin performed this stunt multiple times over the course of several weeks. And each time he liked to add new elements of difficulty. So he walked backwards across the rope. He walked blindfolded. He did a backflip on the tightrope. One time he even stopped in the middle of the rope and cooked himself an omelet. Blondin loved engaging the crowds and building suspense. And so one day, he asked the crowd if they believed that he could cross that rope while pushing a wheelbarrow. Now the crowd had seen all his previous stunts and they had no doubt that he could pull off this new, more difficult one. So they went wild and they began to shout, yes, the great Blondin can do it. The great Blondin can do it. But before he set out across the rope, Blondin had one final question for the crowd. He said, which of you will ride in the wheelbarrow? And all of a sudden that crazy shouting crowd went silent. Nobody moved, nobody made a sound. Not a single man or woman responded. All of those people in that crowd had a well-founded belief in Blondin. They believed he could perform the more difficult stunt. But when the time came for them to act on those beliefs, nobody responded. They did not trust him. Many of us have faith in God. We believe that he is who he says he is and that he can do what he says that he'll do. But what about when he calls us to ride with him through a crazy or painful or challenging or even terrifying situation? To take deliberate action to trust him when our circumstances go sideways. Will we be like that crowd and just sit there silently? Will we remain still or Will we get in that wheelbarrow and rely on him alone to meet our deepest needs? I say, let's follow the example of Noah. Let's be the very first ones to raise our hands, to proclaim our trust in the builder of our lives and to get in for the ride. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.